church. It's good to, to see everybody today. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, as Jared mentioned, my name is Rob. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here. It's, it's great to, to see everybody today, but here's where we're at, okay? Um, over the last three months, we have really just kind of taken this, this long, awesome journey through the great Old Testament book of Daniel. And I don't know about you, but uh, that study was probably one of the more intense and profound studies that I've ever done. That over the last 12 weeks, my, my perspective on God and his plan and his power uh, were just magnified. Where it just caused me to kind of revere him more, to respect him more, to worship him to a heightened degree. And it's been my prayer, just as Daniel, if you remember back to last week as we closed up chapter 12, where it said that Daniel sealed up these words right? He preserved these words. It's been my prayer that we would do that in our hearts, that we would take the words of Daniel, we would seal them in our heart, and we wouldn't just kind of move past them like we're reading an article in the paper or something like that, but we would actually seal it up in our heart because the truth is, is that God wants to continue to use the words of Daniel to direct and inform our lives as we walk with Jesus through the everyday stuff of life. And so, Doxa, seal those words up. But as we wrapped up Daniel last week, Believe it or not, it actually set us up beautifully to prepare to celebrate Christmas. And maybe you're like, what are you talking about? We were talking about the end of the world last week. Like, what? It actually really set us up. Because if you remember back to Daniel chapter 2, right, we, we studied this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had of this statue that was shattered by a stone. And then we got into chapter 3, where these three men are thrown into this fiery furnace, and then this fourth guy appears and rescues them. And then in chapters 8 and 11 and 12, we, we looked at these prophecies about the end of time and the rescue coming for God's people. Doxy, you need to know that all of that was about and around the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, who Christmas is all about. And so it set us up beautifully, and today we're officially switching gears for the next few weeks to really just prepare to celebrate Christmas. All right, for the next several weeks leading up, what we're going to do is we're going to do what the words of that song, Joy to the World, that we just sang, let every heart prepare him room. We're going to prepare our hearts to celebrate Jesus, who life and history and eternity is all about. And so what we're going to do is we're simply just going to open up the Bible and look at the very first Christmas. And so if you do have your Bible, grab it and find your way to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Gospel Luke chapter 1. And as we get there, let me just say this, okay? We're only going to be in this book for for three weeks, and we're just going to be looking at the first two chapters. But I want to give you some context and understanding of this writing as, as we prepare to, like, consider it together. Because as we look at the first Christmas today, all right, we're going to meet one of the most significant and important women in the history of the world. If you grew up Catholic, I'm pretty sure you know a lot about her. Her name's Mary, right? We're going to talk about Mary, and while we learn a lot about Mary throughout the Gospels in this Christmas story, her story actually begins much earlier. Her story kind of begins in the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, the book of Origins. And we find this in Genesis chapter 3, that God had created everything. He's created the first man in Adam, the first woman in Eve. And as he created them, he looked at all his creation, and he said it was very, very good. All right, the first of humanity, they were walking with God. They were in God's presence. They'd been given authority and dominion and stewardship over all of creation. And with this, they really just had freedom. They had freedom to walk with God. And there was only one thing that God told them not to do. And if you know your Bible, you know it was to not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, as this would bring about 
death to the humanity that God created. And so God essentially had one rule for humanity. Don't kill yourself. And I know that some of you, you, you think kind of God is like very restrictive and he has rules and laws and he's very restrictive. Some of you, you view God like that. But in reality, guys, God gives us so much freedom but simply just tells us to stay clear of the things that will harm us and bring hurt and death to our lives. This is what he did with Adam and Eve. But we know the story, right? Humanity didn't listen. We still don't listen. This is why the world is the way that it is today. It's just broken. But Adam and Eve, they sinned against God. This brought about brokenness and death and sin to God's perfect creation. And from that moment on, all right, humanity was just separated from God. And humanity was just walking away from God towards death and hell. And this is what sin does. It separates us from God. But God, the two greatest words in the Bible, but God in his great love for us, in his great love for people he created, rather than leaving humanity, walking away from him, going towards death apart from him, he came to them in Genesis chapter three, and he says, here's what I'm gonna do to help you. Take a look at this, Genesis 3:16 says this, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. All right, this is God speaking to his great enemy and our great enemy, Satan, who deceived the first of humanity into sin, and God tells him that he will be defeated and the way will be made for humanity to be with God again in perfection. Theologians call this the Proto-Evangelium, which is the first gospel, the first good news. And the good news in the midst of humanity's sin is this, that a son will come through the line of Eve who will defeat Satan, sin, death, and hell, and rescue God's people from the brokenness of sin that separates us from God. And from that point forward, humanity was just eagerly waiting for the birth of this particular son. And the rest of the Old Testament is the recording of the waiting of humanity for the plan of God to come to fruition, bringing about this son. And 700 years before the birth of this son, God raised up a prophet, His name was Isaiah, and he gave us some more details around this son, and he said this in Isaiah 7.14, he said, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. All right, so Isaiah says, you're gonna know when this son, when this child has come to rescue humanity because his mother will be a virgin. And this leads us to Luke chapter one, verse 26. But this son was born, all right, he lives a perfect life without sin. He dies on the cross in our place for our sin as our substitute for our salvation. And he rises from death, ascends back into heaven. And the news of him, the news of the son, just spread rapidly throughout the world. The message that Jesus is king, he's Lord, he's savior, it spread all around the world. And it's ultimately why we're sitting here today gathered like this. But this news eventually reached a man named Theophilus, all right, who is likely a a wealthy, influential, political man in Rome, and he hears about Jesus, and as he's hearing about Jesus, he's deciding whether or not he's gonna follow him, whether or not he can trust everything that he's heard about Jesus, and maybe that's where some of you are at today, that that you've heard some things about Jesus, and, and you really kind of like, you're wondering, like, can I actually trust this? Should I actually follow Jesus? This was Theophilus. He was trying to figure it out, This was me for many years of my life. 
But before Theophilus can devote himself to following Jesus, he needed to get the facts. And so Luke, who is a medical doctor and a gifted historian, he spends many years investigating and researching the details around the man Jesus and the claims that he made about his life. And he sets out and he does the work of a historian. He interviews people, he goes to all the eyewitnesses, he goes to the places, he reads all the documents, and he finds out what is actually true about the man Jesus. And what we have in the Gospel of Luke is the historical findings around Jesus. And he sends them to Theophilus. And he starts off in chapter one, verse one, look at this. And as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, and I want you to underline this next part in your Bible, that you may have certainty, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. That word certainty is the point of everything that Luke writes. He's writing to give Theophilus and us certainty around the man Jesus. One of the most famous, renowned scholars of world history, his name was Sir William Ramsey. He, if you studied history in high school or college, you've, you certainly have read some of his works, but Ramsey really just doubted the historicity of Luke's gospel, and he spent many years of his life to kind of disprove it, but after many years of research and historical digging, here's where he landed. All right, he came to the conclusion, and I quote, Luke's history is unsurpassed in regards to its trustworthiness. He used names of officials and very specific details and people, and he has searched it out, and it's emphatically true, reliable, and accurate history. So Doxa, what we're going to be looking at the next few weeks is not mythology, folklore, or fable. This is actual history. And Luke just says, here's what I found out, Theopolis. Here's what I found out, Doxa Church. Let this give you certainty in your faith. He wants to take our faith from being like a cloud and make it a mountain. Does that make sense? Some of you, we have like cloud faith. I have some faith, but when the wind of culture or the wind of a really smart professor kind of blows, the cloud just kind of drifts and we're not so certain anymore. Luke says, I want to give you the facts to take that faith as a cloud and make it a mountain so you cannot be moved because you know for certain what is true about Jesus. And in verse 26, he tells us about Mary, the mother of the son that was said to be coming. Take a look, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, there's several things we need to see here, okay? I want you to notice that the angel Gabriel, which if you were around for the study through Daniel, we know this guy, or this angel, not a guy, but we know Gabriel, right? But just as Gabriel came to Daniel, he also comes to Mary. And verse one, or verse says that Gabriel was sent from God. And I, and I would say to you guys, this is one of the most fundamental facts about Christmas, it's one of the most fundamental facts about the incarnation of Jesus. Just hear me on this, guys. It starts with God. It comes from God. That an angel was sent from God. And when we think about Christmas, what we need to understand is that Christmas has no biblical meaning without God. It has an American meaning, it has a cultural meaning, but it does not have a historically true meaning or a biblical meaning 
without God. And this is so important for preparing our hearts to celebrate Christmas. Christmas is ultimately about the creator of the universe who is himself not part of the universe, moving himself in the person of his son into the universe that he made. And what makes this even more remarkable is that this created universe, the personal part of it, the moral part of it, is in rebellion against its maker, and yet he comes to this universe that he made in order to save those who are in active rebellion against him. And this is me and you. This is all of humanity. One of the clearest statements in the Bible concerning this is in 1 Timothy chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul says this. Take a look. He says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And so Christmas is about something God initiated, something God did in history to help and save people. So Gabriel appears just as he did in Daniel to announce what will happen. And here from Mary, he's gonna tell her something amazing that's gonna happen through what God was gonna do in and through her. And what we see throughout the Bible is again and again, this is the pattern, that God gives a word and then he does a deed. He gives a word, he does a deed, that if you read the Bible, this is in fact the pattern. I think God does this because he wants us to be sure. He wants to be sure that we recognize that it's him doing the great things that are happening all around us. Because if events just happen by themselves without words of explanation, these events are just ambiguous and it leads to speculation. And I just want you to know that the word of God takes away the ambiguity and the speculation, especially around Christmas, that God tells us what he's gonna do and then he does it. And as we see this, it points to the reality that there is in fact a God, that we are not him, but we actually need him. And so he breaks into human history and he comes to a place named Nazareth to an engaged girl named Mary. And I need to just tell you about Nazareth and Mary because this is honestly just amazing, okay? Nazareth, guys, is nothing. It's really nothing. It's not mentioned in the Old Testament. It's not mentioned in the Apocrypha. It's not mentioned in the Talmud because no one important came to or from Nazareth. It was nothing. It was just this small rural town, right? One stoplight, no quick trips, very few, very simple people. There were a lot of guys named Bubba there. I guarantee it, right? This is Nazareth. But God shows up in Nazareth through Gabriel. And this was completely unexpected. This is why if you remember back to John chapter 1, verse 46, Nathanael asked, can anything good come from Nazareth? He's like, all I know, there's Bubba's everywhere. Like, can anything good come from Nazareth? Because the assumption is no. Nothing good comes from Nazareth except God. He comes to and from Nazareth. And Gabriel comes to Nazareth to a virgin girl named Mary, engaged to this guy named Joseph. And oftentimes, guys, the only thing that people know about these two are what their figurines look like as we set up the nativity scenes on our mantles, right? Where Mary is like very beautiful, she's well-dressed, and Joseph kind of looks like Chris Hemsworth, right? And just like, just sitting there, right? And you're like, oh, these guys are impressive. But it's significant to understand who these people were. Let me just give you just a snapshot, okay? In these days, people usually married right after hitting puberty. So people in these days were married somewhere around the ages of 12 to 16 years old. And so Mary and Joseph were teenagers living in Nazareth, and they were very poor, and they were uneducated. 
So in Mary and Joseph, we have a poor peasant junior high couple. This is what we're looking at. And God comes to these nobodies to bring about somebody that can change anybody. This is what is setting up the first Christmas. And I love this about God, that God loves to use the weak and the humble and the unimpressive to accomplish great things. So if you are weak and you are humble and you are unimpressive in the world's eyes, you are perfectly in the place for God to do something great through your life. It's the proud that he opposes, but he gives grace to the humble and raises them up. Now look at verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So this is what the angel Gabriel says to this poor peasant teenage girl from nowhere. And like we saw with Daniel, she's startled, she's fearful, which is the typical response that you see throughout the scriptures when someone comes in contact with a divine being. But the angel tells Mary, if you look back, that she is favored by God. And this is beautiful. Because that word favored here, it's used another time in the New Testament in Ephesians 1.6 where it means like a free bestowal of grace. And so the very first thing Gabriel says to Mary is that she's about to receive a free bestowal of God's grace, that she didn't deserve this honor, but God is gracious and he just gives it to her. And God's grace just eliminates all pride that Mary could have been tempted to have. Parents, you know this about yourself, right? Parents were were pretty prone to like bragging about and boasting about our children, right? No, no, I've heard you, right? We all do it. Right, little Johnny, he's, but how much more if your kid is God, right? And so Gabriel, he quenches the spirit of pride before he does anything else. And he says, Mary, this is gonna be great. The Lord is with you in a way that you can't even fathom, but never forget, it's favor. It's a free gift of grace that you did not deserve. Be humble. And when we talk about grace, guys, this is just undeserved favor. It's unmerited love. That grace really just describes the essence of how we're saved and loved and embraced and accepted by God. Mary was saved by grace and she was chosen by God to be a recipient of that grace. And Christian, let me just remind you that this is true of you you actually have a reason to sing. You are chosen by God. You have been a recipient of his grace and his favor, God's favor is upon you. Do you know that about yourself? The favor of God is upon you and we don't deserve it, but God is that good, amen? His favor is on you. And some people will ask, they'll look at Mary and say, why would God favor Mary? Here's what I believe the answer to be. It's because he's good. There's no other reason beyond that. That God could have looked down and said, I'm gonna pick the the young, wealthy woman. He could have said, I'm gonna go to like, I'm gonna go to Middleton and find like a mansion. I'm I'm gonna find this prominent woman that's gonna be able to give this son everything. 
But instead, God says, Mary, this poor girl from Nazareth, I choose Mary. And this is amazing. And this should cause us to love Jesus even more. Because this is really kind of like the opposite of religion, right? When you think about religion, it's just confidence in the works of the flesh. And religion is really just all about me and what I do to earn God's favor. Christianity is about God favoring you by grace. It's not about what you have done. It's about what he has done from you or for you. I mean, Christianity is not about who you are or where you come from or how much money you have or how much power you have and what you do. It's about who God is and what he has done through Jesus Christ for you. This is Christianity. And Luke hammers this all the way throughout his gospel. For example, in Luke chapter 3, he quotes Isaiah and he says, all flesh will see the salvation of God. And this is not like a universalist theology or anything like that understood to be meaning like that everybody is going to come to Jesus and be saved regardless of faith and rejection. But rather, what this means is that there is no kind of person that the grace of God cannot reach and no boundary that it cannot cross. The gospel is good news for everyone. And someone here needs to hear this this morning, that you're not too damaged for God. You're not too broken for God. You're not too far gone for God. You're not too addicted. You're not too dirty. You're not any of that. No one is beyond the grace of God. And you need to understand this. The grace of God through the gospel of Jesus is good news for every single person. All people. Now look at verse 31. Gabriel says you're favored by God and then he tells Mary what's going to happen. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and, as, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so Mary, she's going to conceive a child in a miraculous way, and here we learn five things about Mary's child, five things that change everything. First, this child will be named Jesus, okay? Jesus literally means Savior. And so Jesus means he saves us from our sin. And two of the most significant things that we each need to know about our lives is that we are all sinners and Jesus is the only Savior. This is one of the most important things that you need to know about your life and the truth of the world that we live in. The truth about me, you, humanity, is we're all sinners by nature, choice, thought, word, and deed. And sin is just anything that God is not. And the nature of sin is that it separates us. It separates us from him now, but it also separates us from, eternity, for, from him from eternity. This is what sin does. And one day as we studied in Daniel, we will all stand before God and we will give an account for our lives. And without Jesus... There will be no salvation. It's just going to be condemnation. Because we are all guilty and Jesus is the only one who is Savior. And this is the primary message of our church. And this is something that just, I hope that I can tell as many people before I die about this message. That Jesus forgives us, he embraces us, and he loves us. And so if you're here and you don't, haven't come to Jesus, I need you to know you need Jesus above everything else in your life. 
And I want you to know that God loves you so much just as you are sitting in that seat right now. He loves you. He lived for you. He died for you. He wants you to experience his saving grace for you. And that is why you're here today. No one here is here by accident. That God in his sovereignty has brought you here to hear about his love. Come to Jesus today. And Christian, as you hear Jesus, as you say Jesus, Remind yourself that Jesus is your Savior. And so when you do sin, which you will, we're not going to stop sinning until we're with him in glory, but when you do sin, you remind yourself that you have a Savior in Jesus and nothing and no one can rip you out of his hand, that there is security and assurance with Jesus, that you have been sealed. And let that just encourage you and empower you to confidently repent of your sin and keep walking and keep worshiping all the days of your life. Number two, if you look, this child will be great. And Jesus is great. And when you read through the New Testament in the gospel records, you realize what the writers are actually doing is they're recording for us the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And they're simply just presenting Jesus and the facts surrounding his life as they've discovered him. And as they did this, they discovered that he was, in fact, great. That Jesus' words, his works, and ways were a declaration of his glory and his majesty and his identity as our great and mighty God. Look at the words of Isaiah chapter 9. It says it like this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is Jesus. Jesus is a wonderful counselor who walks with you and helps you. He's a mighty God who fights for you. He's an everlasting father who loves you. He's the prince of peace to comfort you and help you to trust in him and his goodness. Jesus is that great. Number three, this child is a fulfillment of prophecy. That when you look at the Bible... In human history, okay, we can conservatively say that Jesus fulfilled at least like 300 prophecies in his earthly ministry. Hundreds of promises given throughout human history, hundreds of years before Jesus stepped onto the stage of human history. I mean, let this just like convince you and solidify you and make you certain of who Jesus actually is. Doxa, all scripture, all history is about Jesus and he is the fulfiller of scripture and prophecy. Number four, this child, if you look back, will be called the son of the most high. Now, in John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus says that he and the father are one. All right, that Jesus is God in flesh. He's God who's come to us, God incarnate. And what this means is that Jesus is fully sovereign. And so what we're talking about here is his preeminence, his prominence, his power, and his sovereign rule. You need to know that Jesus, he's not just kind of like a religious elf on a shelf. He's just not. He's the son of the Most High who we look to for help and provision and protection and salvation. So if you're Jesus's and Jesus is yours, there is great power in your life through the presence of his Holy Spirit. And then number five, This child is the eternal king. And this is verse 33, if you look. This goes all the way back to the Davidic covenant in in 2 Samuel chapter 7. 
And I would just encourage you this week in your connection group, guys, just to go back, look this up, and, and talk about it. But this promise was made to David that a king would come in his family line who would be the king of kings, who would rule and reign over all kings and kingdoms forever. This is Jesus. Jesus is eternal. He lived before his birth. He lives after his resurrection and ascension, and he is living and reigning now and forever. And this king is the king above every king, and this king wins over Satan, sin, death, and hell. And if he is your king, if you are with this king, that means you win as well. There is a kingdom of hope and peace that is eternal ahead of every single one of us. This is Jesus. And I just want to, this is so helpful for us because, guys, we have a lot of socially constructed Jesuses in our world today. If you have a different view of Jesus, you have a wrong view. This is what the Bible is talking about. This is the Jesus that's good news for all people. And this is the Jesus that sees you, he loves you, he knows you, he lived for you, he died for you, he rose for you. Come to this Jesus, follow this Jesus, worship him today. Now, while Mary hears this incredible news, she asks a question in verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? This is a good question, okay? But I want you to see, guys, this is not unbelief. She has some questions. All right, some of you here today, you, you might say like, okay, I believe in Jesus, I love Jesus, like I'm following Jesus, but I, I have some questions. That's great, so do I. There's a difference between having questions and having unbelief. Unbelief says, I don't believe God, I don't believe Jesus, I don't believe the Bible. That's not Mary. Mary is humble. She asks, how can this be? I don't have a husband. I'm a virgin. Like she was ready to believe that she might give birth to the Messiah, but that she might give birth as a virgin was way beyond comprehension. But what we see is that her attitude was humble and open, and so Gabriel answers her as far as he is allowed in verse 35. He says this, look, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, the child born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So Gabriel simply says the way that this will happen is through a miracle. All right, that it's the power of the Holy Spirit. And beyond this, Revelation doesn't explain it. But how can a virgin have a child? How can this human child be the divine Son of God? Verse 35, guys, gives us the answer. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called the Son of God. And that word, therefore, is so important because it shows that the conception of Jesus in a virgin is due to the mysterious work of the Holy Spirit who is the third member of the Trinitarian God. And it shows us that the divine sonship of Jesus depends on this virgin birth. And this is so significant because there are many people Many even churches and religions out there that will say that the conception of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary is not essential in the doctrine of the incarnation since Jesus would have been the Son of God even if the virgin birth weren't true. But you need to understand that the words of Gabriel don't agree with that. 
understand this, the virgin birth is so important because it preserves the truth that Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time, that his physical body he received from Mary, but his eternal holy nature was his from all eternity past. And Gabriel goes on to say this in verse 36, look. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Okay, so the angel's telling Mary that God was gonna do this miracle in and through her, and then he says, it's, it's already happened, like there's a miracle that's already happened with your relative Elizabeth. This is chapter one, verses five through 25, if you look back, that God causes this 90-year-old woman to get pregnant with John the Baptist to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. And then look at verse 37, I love this. Underline this, circle this, highlight it, whatever you gotta do, for nothing will be impossible with God. Do you believe that? Nothing is impossible with God. You need to believe this. It's true, I believe this. I was sitting in Panera last night trying to finish this, this message started talking to a guy there. His life is just in shambles. And we're just talking, and the only thing I can cling to is that he said he knows God, he said he knows Jesus, and I quoted this, I'm like, nothing is impossible for God. There's a way forward for you. There's a way forward for your family. There's a way forward for you. There's a way forward, and I just prayed that he would experience this and that the Holy Spirit would come in power. Do you believe this? Nothing will be impossible with God. That God can create everything out of nothing. That God can take an elderly woman like Elizabeth and open up her womb. That God can take a virgin like Mary and give her a son. That God can take on human flesh and enter into human history as the man Jesus Christ. That God can rise from death. That God can raise us from death. That God can forgive our sins through the cross of Jesus Christ. That God can hear your prayers and answer your prayers. That God can heal you and change your present situation. Nothing is impossible without God, with God. Nothing. God makes all things possible. And this is why we get so excited. This is why we're so full of hope. This is why we have a choir. This is why we sing. This is why we pray. This is why we teach. Because we believe in the power of God through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? This is all of our stories. I was reminded of this several times, even just this morning. I was shaving Missed a couple spots, I get it. Yeah, but I was shaving and I looked in the mirror and I just had the thought, this is so bizarre. How did a drunk addict get to the point where he's teaching the Bible and leading as a pastor? I was standing in the back during worship and I'm, I'm seeing a couple that I know. I had divorce papers in their hands and now they're standing side by side, worshiping God together. I was talking to a guy out in the hallway who was at the end of his rope, contemplating taking his life just in a bad place. And now he's walking and living and thriving because Jesus has come in and changed everything about this man. It's the power of God. God does the impossible. And finally, verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. 
let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Here's what I want you to think about when you think about Mary. She's not just the mother of Jesus, but she's an example of faith. All right, Mary didn't have all the information. She knows very little, but she trusts all of it. And I would submit to you guys that this news that Mary heard, it wasn't easy for her. All right, there were very real potential consequences for her. I mean, she could be thinking like, what is Joseph gonna think? Right, like he's not, and there was provisions in the law for him to divorce her. There were also social consequences for a woman getting pregnant outside of marriage in this time where there would be terrible things that could happen to her to make her an example for other women. But Mary's response is one of trust and faith. She didn't know how it would all play out and she had a lot of questions, but she had enough information to trust God. Mary believed what God said and what God did was miraculous in and through her. So let me just close with this. Guys, Jesus comes in a miraculous way to do miraculous things in us and through us. God shows his greatness by working with anyone on the street who is willing to be used by him. Understand me on this, spiritual greatness is not a matter of social class, it's not a matter of like monetary clout or degreed background. It's a function of the heart, Mary had faith. And just as the Holy Spirit did a miracle in Mary, the Holy Spirit comes to do a miracle in us. And just as Mary was incapable of having life, Guys, we are dead in our trespasses and sin, and on our own, we are incapable of having life. But through faith, the Holy Spirit imparts the very life of God to us miraculously, where we're born again spiritually, where we belong to God and our sins are forgiven. Our life is new, and it begins that God births us new through Jesus. Come to Jesus. Mary responded with faith, and so we respond with faith, trusting God. And if you look, she just says, my life belongs to God. Let me be his servant. And I want this for all of us today. But like Mary, you have to respond. Mary paints a portrait of going wherever God leads, knowing that he will supply whatever is lacking. May God just help us to be a church filled with these types of people who take God at his word and walk with him by faith, empowered by his spirit to exist for his glory and the good of the world around us. We're gonna remember the greatness of Jesus now. So I'm gonna invite you to grab this cup and you can go ahead and stand to your feet. Communion is an opportunity for us to just remember these truths about Jesus. That he is savior, that he is great, that he is son of the most high. And I would say this, this only makes sense if you have come to Jesus in faith.
you've put your faith in Jesus, we're gonna take communion, we're gonna celebrate. But if you're in a place where maybe you just need to come to Jesus, give him your sin, ask for his righteousness, do that today and then take communion. If you haven't done that though, just observe. But on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his friends together and he grabbed a piece of bread and he, he broke it and he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Doxa Church, remember Jesus stumbling to the cross, being broken for you. And thank him. It's the body of Christ broken for you. Take it. And as he sat there, he then grabbed the wine and he said, and this is my blood that has been poured out for you. And we're reminded through scripture that it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so we just say, Jesus, thank you for your blood. Doxa Church, it's the blood of Christ that has been shed for you. Thank him and take it. This is our Jesus. This is why we sing. And so we're gonna sing together and we're gonna celebrate Jesus being the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, our Savior. But I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna worship. Father, we love you. And we thank you for your great gift in Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for coming, for living, for dying, for raising. God, I thank you for coming to a nobody like me, a broken man like me, saving my life, giving me an eternity with you. Jesus, thank you. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would just remind us of the gospel. That as we sing these words, that you would just reinforce with certainty the identity of Jesus Christ, our great Savior, and that you would just stir up in us worship, wonder, awe, and praise. God, we love you. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.